Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Eddie and I am once again joined by my co-host Jay. Hello. There we go. And this week we are looking at one of my personal favourite video games uh, and that is Metroid Prime which is number 74 in the list released in 2002 by Retro Studios which is a subsidiary of Nintendo so it's one of their smaller little offshoot and apparently they did Metroid Prime and they did the Donkey Kong Country series which I didn't know I thought they came about from Metroid Prime I thought this was their Mm. first sort of project but turns out not Metroid is Prime is one of my favorite games I don't think it's one of yours no it's it's not my cup of tea I suppose I much prefer the original Metroids the the platformery side scrollery ones I mean it's not a bad game you you gave it for my birthday years and years ago when we were in college and I think I played it for a few hours and I just yeah I wasn't getting into it too much I didn't hate it and as we've said before it was in a time where when you got a game you played it because you didn't have much else to play at the time that was new so I did play it quite a bit and I've still got it knocking about somewhere I do keep meaning to go back to it but no side scrollers for me are, are much more appealing or platformers and especially than like the Metroid style where you scavenging around and in searching for things and there's a bit of a difficulty curve in the original metroid games isn't there but i'd say there's much more of a difficulty curve in prime as well it it can get very difficult in parts yeah and i think mostly you can attribute that to the control scheme because it was i mean it was the gamecube control pad which was very it's very similar to modern dual analog controllers it, it had the dual control sticks although one was a c stick rather than mm. a directional button but because of how metroid prime needed to control where you switched between beam functions that's what your c pad uh, your c stick ended up doing so it was a really weird single control stick third person shooter which sounds horrible because you use the r trigger to sort of move your move your vise around to sort of work out which way you were going and to lock on to enemies so it sort of had a zelda-esque z targeting Mm. which again makes the game sound awful but it worked at the time probably because we didn't know any better there weren't many third uh, sorry first person shooters at the time that were particularly competent and did use the two analog sticks i mean you go back to goldeneye and that is one control stick and c <laughs> buttons to sort of navigate and strafe and stuff so that that was awful the one thing i can say is that they have fixed it in the remake so you can have on the switch dual thumbstick control um, and you can use the other face buttons for your beam changes it was a time when they were experimenting with it, I think, wasn't it? Getting the control scheme yeah. down for that kind of game. And I mean it's it's it controls a million times better than Shenmue. And Yeah. So they they've obviously they'd taken on board, I think, stuff that other companies had done and seen what went wrong and what went right. And yeah, I mean at least it's not tank controls. So you've got to thank it for that and it's yeah i don't think it's it controls terribly it's just going back to it now it would be a bit of a a bit of a shock to try and go back and play it now i think especially if you didn't have that experience of playing it then so the fact that they've changed it in the the remake is is admirable because i can see i could see people just hating it if they'd left it the same as it was 
And the the Switch's control layout's not the same as a GameCube pad either, is it? I know you can play it with a GameCube pad. You get the the no, they're not even third party, are they? Nintendo have done GameCube pads specifically for yeah. is it for Smash? They did them for Smash mainly, didn't they? Yes, yeah, they did. And and you could play it on one of those if you wanted, but I never liked the C stick for directional controls anyway. Because it's a bit stiff, isn't it? It's not like a proper analog yeah. stick. And it's it's very clearly got, is it six or eight points of reference on it? Yeah. So it clicks into those points, doesn't it? As You can't do a full clean circle on it. So I can sort of see why they didn't go with that control method. Because like it would have been so easy to put the beam functions on the shoulders and have the C as the directional, reverse what they actually yeah. did. But I think they probably made the right choice with that C stick. And I think, I don't know if it's just my memory of it, I wouldn't have wanted to use the C-Stick too much because if anything felt like it was going to break on a GameCube controller, it was that C-Stick. It just felt a little bit, not flimsy, but like when you were cracking it round into the plastic, it it really does hit the plastic, doesn't it, when you move it in a, a strong direction. And I just felt like that was the thing. So if I was having to use that quite a lot to move my view around and stuff, I think I'd be worried I was going to knack my pad up eventually. Yeah, it's it's satisfying in Smash because obviously that's mm. reserved for like your Smash attacks, so your directional powerful hits and that sort of thing. And the click, along with how snappy the function is of it, it's satisfying in Smash. But obviously, the rest of the buttons are equal, and like the control stick are equally as important in Smash to be moving constantly around the stage. But in Metroid, I think it had just been weird. Um, mm. I did buy the remaster, and it automatically comes with the original control scheme preset. And I tried it for about twenty minutes on the first uh, on the pirate ship, essentially, and it's. It is jarring. It is to go from modern first-person shooters and with dual analog sticks, and then to go back to that where you just—it took me forever to get past the first puzzle where it teaches you how to lock on to targets and sort of move your view round. And I was just like, no, I need to change this control scheme. And it had a new updated one with the dual thumbsticks, and at that point, it just snapped back in, and it felt like a proper game again. It always makes me think of—I think was it. An Alien vs. Predator game or something like that. That was the very first game to use dual analog controls to control your movement. I think it was a PS2 game, maybe. And there was a review, I think it was on IGN, that absolutely slated it and said, this control scheme is is horrific and this will never take off. And it's completely ruined this game. And now it's like industry standard. You don't make a dual stick game like first person without using that control scheme. So it's just, it doesn't make me laugh sometimes how wrong some, some people can get it. But at the time, I suppose it was so new and different. You might play it and go, this is horrible. I hate it. Whereas actually, eventually it just becomes second nature to do that. Speaking of IGN, massive tangent, but I don't know if you saw their review for that Suicide Squad game that's coming out. I, I, I haven't, <laughs> but I've seen reviews of the Suicide Squad game. <laughs> so it isn't a good game from what I've seen, but the IGN review is is something else. So one of the guy's main complaints with the IGN review was that the Flash is too fast. He does know that's <laughs> his whole thing, right? So there's this bit in the because um one of our patrons told me about it the sweaty llama when I was talking to him and he he turned I thought I'll have a look into this and I found somebody talking about it on YouTube and the flash boss in it 
zips around the stage, obviously. That's what he does. And at certain points, he'll stop and taunt you. And if you try and shoot him when he stops and taunts you, he runs away and you can't hit him. But that's not when you're meant to hit him. But this guy who was reviewing it obviously thought, oh, when he stops and taunts you, that's when I've got a chance to hit him. And I can't, so he's going too fast. When in actual fact, you have to wait for him to do an attack. I think it's the one, you know, where he runs in a circle and it creates like a hurricane and and chucks that towards you. Then you can hit him while he's doing that. So the guy's completely misconstrued the attack pattern and then gone, oh, the flash is too fast, which if I was typing that sentence, I'd read it back and go, yeah, I can't publish that, surely not. But but IGN have gone for it. I mean, taken out of context, it is completely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but to go back to Metroid Prime, it was a massive departure for what the series had set up as a standard. So it was like one of the originators of the Metroidvania archetype really so it was very side-scrolly explorative run around collect all your power-ups and by the time of metroid prime you'd got quite a lot of set mainstays when it comes to sort of enemies and bosses and metroid prime just massively steps away from everything that you would expect to see in a normal metroid series there is one recurring enemy in it who i don't think it's much of a spoiler because he's introduced right in the first level to be fair and that is ridley so the massive pterodactyl-esque thing that spits laser beams and fire at you and he's i think he's been in pretty much every single metroid game aside from dread I think, but mm-hmm. he he appears in Prime, um, but him out of all the other ones, so things like Kraid, Mother Brain, don't make an appearance at all, and I think Brave's, uh, Brave step to take uh, to completely distance itself from the main series in regards to that probably would have been better received if it did have some of those boss fights in it, because I think that in first person, the size of stuff like Kraid, who is huge, even in Super Metroid, I think the whole scale and the difference in height between yourself and him would have been quite an impactful thing to show. But at the same time, some of the bosses were really clever and really innovative in the way that they managed to work it into a first-person shooter. I think that the GameCube was... Nintendo, they f***ed about with a lot of games, didn't they, when they made the GameCube to a lot of franchises. So you've got Sunshine, where they stuck this water jetpack on Mario's back and made it all about the mechanics of that, which up to that point, they'd never done anything like that with the Mario series. Had they had always just been platforming or 3D platforming in Mario 64, which changed it a bit, but the core value of it was still jumping on enemies, jumping from platform to platform, etc. Sticking a water jetpack on the back of you and having that be the core mechanic to defeat loads of bosses, to traverse loads of levels, was a real change. Star Fox, they buggered that up, didn't they, and turned that into some sort of third-person run-and-shoot type game, was it? Yeah. And then, the, yeah, with this, they, they did the same and went, oh, what can we do with this? I mean, Zelda sort of got away with it, I think, didn't it? Wind Waker's well... a bit different, but not massively. Yeah, I mean, it did sort of, it it sort of carried on faithfully from Ocarina in terms of you didn't have a jump button, it was still all quite context sensitive, your movement, but then obviously they put in the cell shaded, which obviously massive backlash at the time, and now it's considered one of the best, um, better aged Zeldas, and again, I think this 
despite how much of a leap it was to go from 2D to 3D to first person, it's one of the better regarded Metroid games. Yeah, yeah, especially because there's been more 3D ones, haven't there? And I think this one's still considered the sort of pinnacle for for 3D Metroid games, I suppose. Metroid Other M, which was the one for the Mm. Wii, which switched between side-scrolling sort of third person and first person was an absolute shit show but that was given to team ninja i think they gave it to them and they're normally known for stuff like dead or alive beach volleyball <laughs> which is completely out of their comfort zone to do a metroid game so i don't know why nintendo thought it was a good idea but even metroid prime 2 and 3 weren't as well received as this one i don't think the wii got any best game of the franchise did it it had some really good games. Maybe Mario Kart. Yeah, probably Mario Kart. If you're looking at it kindly. But for me, the Mario games aren't as good with Galaxy. No. The Zelda games aren't as good with Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword. I'm not a huge fan of either of those. I've played them through to an extent and I enjoyed them at the time, but I wouldn't play them over Majora or or anything like that. And then, like other M wasn't as well received because I, I assume it's because they tried to crowbar motion controls into everything yeah. that they did on the Wii and it just detracts from it a bit, doesn't it? At the time, it was a nice little gimmick, but I suppose didn't Kirby have a decent-ish game on the Wii? To be fair, I think Kirby, on every console it's ever been on, all the games have been solid. Mm. They've not been amazing, but they have all been solid because was it Kirby's Epic Yarn that was for the Wii? Yes, I think so, yeah. And that was really good. But even like the DS ones mm. are all really well received. They're not like smash hits or anything, but they're all competently put together and solid entries in the series, whereas a lot of the stuff, like you say, on the Wii and the Wii U, God help us with that, uh, have all been <laughs> sort of like massive missteps. And Nintendo's really struggled with a lot of series to hit banger after banger with it a lot of them have been successful but they've always had a slight hiccup with at least one or two entries in a series so in terms of prime what's the storyline then how does it explain that you're suddenly in this completely different environment and you're not fighting all the same bosses and all that kind of thing so i think they wanted to make the series expand a little bit and move away from it being about Metroids, because by the time you get to Dread, there aren't Metroids left. Or the last Metroid has been, I think it gets killed by Ridley. To be fair, I think it tries to, it sacrifices itself to save Samus, who it thinks is its mum, because it's the first thing, it, she is the first thing it sees when it's hatched, essentially. So it imprints on her. Um, but by this point, I think they are there are some metroids left but the planet that they were from has been blown up and samus gets a distress call from a uh, a pirate uh, so the space pirates are the main antagonist species in metroid as a series and there is she picks up a distress call from their main ship goes to investigate it and finds out that the planet is basically infected by a meteorite that has struck the surface decades before and it's leaking a substance called phazon which is highly corrosive highly mutagenic and it's just mutating all the flora and fauna of the planet 
the pirates have found it and think, do you know what's a good idea? If we start injecting this into members of our own species to see if it helps <laughs> make us any better at fighting. So you get a lot of phase-on enhanced pirates in it, especially towards the later levels, and some of them like, I think one of the last bosses is the Omega Pirate, which is huge and can sort of phase out of physical reality and sort of like uh, cloaks itself, which is where your different beam weapons come in and your different visor weapons. So you have like a standard scan visor, which is a really clever way of them giving you access to lore without having to have info dumps constantly. You scan aspects of your environment and you pick up like little bits of history of the planet where the the Chozo, who are the species that raised Samus, so they're like a species of really tall bird people who crafted her armor for her. They found the planet as well eons ago, um, and there's obviously a lot of lore there. You get like a, an X-ray visor, which allows you to see stuff that's invisible to the naked eye, which is how you are able to see the ones that phase in and out of reality. And then you get a a thermal visor, so you can see infrared. I think there's a few games that have copied that scanning sort of functionality. I think the Jedi Survivor one does that, doesn't it? To give you all your exposition. You scan pretty much everything in the environment with the, the little robot fella, and he tells you a bit about it. And I think, I suppose that's what Mass Effect does to an extent. You can scan things for more information and find little journals knocking about and stuff that that piece information together. So probably got Metro Prime to thank for that. Because uh, I can't think of a game really that did it that way beforehand. Not not to that level of you scan a, an arbitrary item and you get a bit of exposition. But you don't have to do it if you don't want to. Yeah, in the GameCube was prior to stuff like achievements and trophies. However, I get the feeling that if it had been around, sort of created at the time when they were starting to become a thing, it would have been an achievement to get all logs scanned, all enemies yeah. scanned. Because even when you scan the enemies, so even up to the the huge boss enemies, they all give you sort of like a two or three page bit of lore about them. So remembering to do that at the beginning of every battle, it sort of gives you a little hint as to how to defeat them, because not all of them are point cannon, shoot it in the face. Some of them you have to transform into like your morph ball function and sort of scoot round on rails and drop bombs on it from the top or sort of like go into little tunnels and blow it up from inside sort of thing. So the enemies are incredibly cleverly designed. But yeah, I think this is probably where the whole lore without text dumps or oh, there's a journal over there, I need to walk over, I need to click <laughs> yeah. on this, and, and stand here, chin resting on hand in admiration as I slowly scroll through this bit of um, <laughs> additional text that I need to to get a sort of context as to what the hell is going on in this story. Did they have achievements in the remaster? No. No. So it's not like they even snuck them in there. One thing when I look at Metro Prime, and it's probably a bit blasphemous to say this, especially to somebody who loves it as much as you do, I get this feeling of if Duke Nukem Forever had been done well, it would be similar to this because of the, like, Duke Nukem had the massive enemies at the end of levels, didn't it, that you had to, there was always some sort of trick to defeating them. It wasn't, like you say, just shoot it until it dies. And I just think if Duke Nukem Forever had been done properly, it would have been a similar type of game where you've got all the weapons, all this sort of alien tech, 
that you can use to defeat things. And then you've got these great hulking things that make you look completely insignificant that you've got to somehow take down. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to be fair, it, it's not an insult to Metroid because I think if Duke Nukem had taken a lot more steer from games that had done what they were trying to do better, they'd have probably been a better game rather than been adamant about keeping to this original doctrine of this is how we want Duke Nukem to be and we want it to be a take of every other game that's come out over the last 10 years and, and sort of tweak the nose of it and make fun of it for being too serious. And it's like, yeah, but unfortunately, Duke Nukem, those games actually did what you were trying to do better. So probably don't throw stones in that particular glass house would be, would be a good idea, really. But no, that's that's my sort of takeaway from it. I'd, I would like to play it again. I just I might have to get the remaster, obviously, because I think going back to that old control scheme would just put me off immediately so at least if i had the new control scheme i might get into it a bit more and like i say i'm not opposed to first person shooters i loved doom and all that kind of thing back in the day and i enjoyed the new dooms so it might be something that i try again i just remember thinking this is so different to what i expect from a metro game i'm struggling with it a bit and i think i had this pokemon coliseum or pokemon gale of darkness or something and eternal darkness all at the same time and obviously this one got pushed on the back burner in, in comparison to those two. Incidentally, as well, Pokemon, I think it was Gale of Darkness, I sent you a picture of, didn't I? 215 yeah. quid in CEX. I need to get yeah. up in the loft. I might be able to <laughs> fund a couple more sets of Pokemon cards if I find my GameCube collection out, evidently. I think the thing that Retro did well with Prime was the fact that it was still that open-world, explorative... You had to find certain power-ups and then backtrack through old areas to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this door that I saw in the lava world that had like a specific beam access, which I now have access to, so I can go back and do that. The only problem I will say with it is that it is very bad at explaining where you need to go next. So you'll kill a boss, you'll get an upgrade, and then you'll just sort of be like, oh, now where am I supposed to go? At the early parts of the game, it's quite linear so it does sort of funnel you into sort of you need to go to this area next um, and it makes it quite obvious because there are very limited places that you can access with only like a single jump or no morph ball ability sort of thing so you can sort of work your way out from there but I think as you get later into the game there's a section I think once you're just about to defeat the last boss you go right to the bottom of these phase on mines that the space pirates have been digging out and you just go all the way to the bottom and you get to this door and it's locked and you don't have the beam <laughs> weapon for it. And I was even on the remaster after I played Prime to the original on the GameCube to death. And I got there and I went, I don't know where I'm supposed to go now. And there is a hint section as part of the game, but it takes about 30 minutes to kick in. And it literally you so you'll literally be wandering around. And if it detects that you are in the wrong area for where you need to go, it will then flash up on your screen that there's a um, anomalous activity detected usually. And then you click on your map and it zooms into the area that you need to go to. And it was in like four biomes previous to where I actually was. And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Why wouldn't I remember that I needed to go back to the forest to pick up this beam <laughs> weapon that I haven't had access to up until this point because there's this little access hatch up in the top section of a tree that I didn't 
remember was there or hadn't even been past it because I didn't need to. So yeah, it is quite bad at explaining where you need to go. It's a bit Dark Soulsy in that respect in terms of where to go. I suppose that's in keeping with the Metroid franchise, though, because they didn't hold your hand in where to go on any of the others, did they? I mean, I spent hours trying to find something I needed to get. I, I honestly thought I'd, like, brick the game because I got stuck in this area that I couldn't get out of, and it took me about an hour, and eventually I found this tiny little tunnel that I could go out of. And I still don't think I figured out where I needed to go for, like, another hour after that. So, yeah, they've never been hand-holdy, and I sort of appreciate that they've kept that, with this one because it would have been games today tend to push you in the right direction a bit too much sometimes i prefer it when i get to discover it myself and then if i'm struggling so the whole like 30 minutes if you're in the wrong area and you're not making progression it knows it's quite a clever thing i'm surprised they don't do that more often now but these days it tends to be like oh here's a file and it's it's got like literally what you need to do one one step at a time written in it and then you just go and do it and it takes a bit of the fun out for me but in terms of metroid prime what are we rating it i think i'm going to defer to you on this one and let you pick its number because i really don't know i'd say mid 70s because it is a it was a step on for the series and it was probably a necessary step it needed to take to try and draw in a wider audience and to sort of refresh the franchise granted i think after metro prime 3 i mean we're still waiting on metro prime 4 which was announced in E3 of 2016 i think so <laughs> it's been it's been about 8 years since we heard anything on metro prime 4 and it it just keeps getting hinted at and then the studio just don't doesn't seem to have done anything with it i don't know how they're going to do a metro prime 4 because the the phase on arc and the dark samus introduction was ended at the end of the third installment so i don't know how it's going to be metroid prime 4 so um, i don't know well they they actually ended a story arc in three games do they not know that's not how you meant to make games (laughs) they ended the story you meant to just drag it out forever i'd give it a 77 then if that seems fair we'll go with that Uh, speaking of sneaking out little tidbits of announcements again tangent don't know if you saw playstation have been throwing announcements left right and center the last week they've hinted at a new burnout which i'm quite excited for because the original burnout i think it was burnout 3 is one of my favorite games where you just cause chaos the whole point of it is to crash as much as you can not the new ones i don't mind paradise but it it's more about the racing and stuff and i always preferred it when it was about just causing mayhem and smashing into people and stuff and seeing how many chains of accidents you could create at a crossroads and things like that. Uh, and they've also, well, I don't think this is even a hint, they've released a free Silent Hill game, haven't they? A brand new Silent Hill game for free that's a couple of hours long. Yeah. And they are remaking number two, and they've shown some screenshots from it, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, not what I was expecting, but yeah, it's weird. The way they're just sneaking stuff out at the minute. I don't get it. If you're going to do a Silent Hill game, do PT. That's what everyone wants. So just go back and pick that up. Don't bring out this new like two-hour free game. That, that Yeah, it's a nice thing to do, but focus that time on what people really want and I've wanted for like the last eight years or whatever it's been. And, and a Silent Hill 2 remaster, I suppose, will be nice if they improve the controls on it and stuff and 
we talked about it, didn't we, on the Silent Hill 2 episode. I've never really played it properly, number two. So I suppose it would be nice, but it's also a very disturbing and triggering game. And in the day we live in now, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't have to paste a massive trigger warning all over the front of it for people who may get affected by the con. Because it is, like you said in that episode, if you've not listened to it, go back and listen to the Silent Hill 2. Well, the Halloween episode, wasn't it? Yeah. There's some really, really dark themes in Silent Hill 2, more so even than the rest of the franchise, isn't there? So it's a weird one to pick. I mean, have they they've done a Silent Hill 1 remaster? No. So why would you just jump straight to 2? I mean, I know there's no connection, really. I mean, they're all set in Silent Hill, the town, but each iteration of it is different because it's based on the psycho uh, psychological aspects of who it is, whoever it is that you're playing as and witnessing it. Mm. So, I mean, I know 2 is the one that anyone ever considers to be the good one, but I don't see how you can consider it the only good one when 1 hasn't been remastered or remade with sort of modern technology. And if you're going to pick 1 to remake, it's 4. Everyone knows that. The Room is the best Silent Hill game. So they've they've dropped a clanger there. But, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do. I, I can't imagine that they don't know how much people want PT and wanted it when they played the demo. So unless there's some sort of legal wrangling going on, I can't understand why they aren't looking at doing that and bringing it back. If they're using the franchise, use it for the thing people want it used for, would be my suggestion to them. If they want to print money, because it would, wouldn't it? Even if it came out and it was rubbish, it would sell so well just because it's that game that didn't come out and everyone was crazy about. Yeah, with the pedigree behind it as well, Guillermo del Toro and I appreciate Konami and Hideo Kojima are still no longer talking, and he's moved on to, I think his next game is Death Stranding 2. Um, So that's due out next year, I think. But yeah, Sony keep hinting at new games, but never actually saying anything concrete (laughs) about them. So I've seen Alone in the Alone in the Dark remake, which I mean I appreciate the series has been shit ever <laughs> to be perpetually. Really, it's never been one of those I mean, the, all-time the originals. Great. You look at the first one, and for its time, yes, it was a very interesting concept. But it's a shit game. It looks <laughs> terrible. It plays even worse. It doesn't make any sense. Like you end up in this no. weird parallel with a tree in the middle of a blood river that you have to swim it and. None of that game. It's like a fever dream, but it's meant to be completely based in reality. And yeah, I just I I liked it when it first came out. I remember playing it, and the it just seemed really innovative. Like, oh, you've got to push that wardrobe in front of the window before the werewolf jumps through it to get you, and all that. And I thought, oh, this is a really clever idea. But it didn't have much past that when you look at it. And I know it's like the the one that started the survival horror genre. Sort of, if you listen to people that believe that but i don't know he, <laughs> i mean the guy in it he just looks ridiculous like could they not have animated a better lead character than him <laughs> for a start and it just goes i watched somebody play through it and i thought there's no wonder i never finished this because it's <laughs> there's moon logic all over the place you just have to guess what to do with most of the objects and hope it works there's death traps all over that you just can't escape once you get once you do one thing wrong You've sealed the fate on the game, but you might not find out for another five rooms. 
So you, you like carry on thinking you've done it all fine and then you just get taken out by something. It's yeah, it was clever for its time, but then then what they did with it after that was because Alone in the Dark was the one where it was like a TV series, wasn't it? And it kept flashing back and doing like was it was it episoded out or something? And at the beginning of each episode, there was like last time, and they showed you like a highlights package of what happened in the last like scenario yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, and then I think I think it was around about the fourth entry in the series. So for a game called Alone in the Dark, they made it <laughs> online multiplayer. So there's no alone there and then they they changed it by calling it i think it was alone in the dark illumination where you were given stuff like flamethrowers and molotovs so it, alone in the dark you're with other people and everything's on f-ing fire brilliant okay so we've complete don't call it alone in the dark anymore just call it that game i'm i'm not interested in that the other thing i suppose that's come out very recently sony related is that they're making an until dawn movie mm. which seems to me completely irrelevant to do because the yeah. game is a movie you play in a movie when you play that game with with choices and quick time events and that's it and i just don't get me and um one another one of our patrons rick flair were discussing this and it's one of our favorite games we've we've played it together a couple of times and, and we really enjoy it and i just don't know what route they're gonna take because obviously there's so many different variations of how that game pans out how do you make one definitive film of that? I just don't get what they're going to do. Unless it's nothing to do with the game and it's just using the name and the characters maybe or something like that. I just I don't get how you're going to do it. And then is it Remy Malik's like scanned into the game, isn't he? But I've not yeah. heard anything connecting him to the film, which would be really weird to not get him in the film if he was like the guy in the game. Yeah, because it's also the girl from Heroes, isn't it? So the cheerleader mm. from Heroes, she's in it as well, and another another couple of quite well known actors are in it. But I can't. I could see it working well potentially as a a TV series because obviously you have those little asides with the guy in the library, who's mm. sort of psychoanalyzing you to a little yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. And I could see them sort of having those sort of at the beginning and the end of the episode and then another bit of the episode and then you just carry it on like that but unless they're going to do it like the um, Black Mirror episode where you made choices but in which case just go and play the game (laughs) you just took the words out of my mouth I was going to say it would work like Bandersnatch did but then it would just be a a version of the game so you may as well just go play the game as do that yeah and you can't do that in a cinema full of people can you like right everybody get your keypads out and vote and whichever one's the like (laughs) predominant answer will play that next clip it would just be mental i just it it's it feels like something that doesn't need doing of all the games that could be turned into films that one didn't need it it was just there was absolutely no need to do it yeah i get the feeling that there have been so many quite successful recently anyway films made of video games because a lot of the older ones haven't translated particularly well like the resident (laughs) evil films weren't particularly great i mean the latest remake was okay but it tried to do too much it tried to sort of smash one two and three bits of the storyline all together which meh why bother why not just do one and then try and do two and three after that Um, i mean it it makes more sense 
Makes more yeah. sense than a house full of lasers that are going after someone, which is not Resident Evil at all. I'm still convinced that first Resident Evil film, they had a script for something else and just went, oh, just stick the Resident Evil license on it and, and that'll yeah. do. It's nothing to do with it, apart from the like dogs, the rotting dogs that come after her. It's barely a Resident yeah. Evil film at all, isn't it? And then they spawned two more, was it, off the back of that, that, again, don't really link to Resident Evil that much either. I think there are six... That oh, original gosh, one that? with uh, Mila Jovovich has mm. about six sequels to it. Each one as bad <laughs> as the first. <laughs> so it, it just keeps making less and less sense as you get on as to why these why there's so many zombies. But then again, I suppose we're back to the Walking Dead thing of why there are so many of the zombies and people just won't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we we do have something more important to talk about, don't we? We've we've gone off on a tangent about Sony there, but we uh we want to talk again. We talked about it a little bit last last episode about the Game On event or the Game On exhibition at the Doncaster Dome. So we did finally get to go together a week ago, as of we are recording this actually. So hopefully it's still fresh enough in our memories to talk about. But yeah, what was your first impressions? Because I gave mine last week. To be honest with you, I thought it was really good. The The time we went was particularly busy, really. There were a lot of people in there, a lot of people were young kids. So it was a bit of a a bit of a disjointed experience. You you were literally having to either wait for someone to bugger off a console that you wanted to play on, or you were having to play on other stuff until you spotted one that was free. We had some the, the, some of the games that we experienced were odd that first one we played <laughs> with the weird little spaceship <laughs> yeah i don't actually know what that is because it didn't have a plaque or anything on it did it but it was no i don't know how to explain it because it wasn't sprite work was it it was i don't know it was a bit like an odyssey but not quite and yeah. it was a huge huge cabinet with like a a screen not much bigger than like a port, an old school portable TV in the middle of it. So God knows what was going on inside that box to create that little experience for us. Uh, but it was fun though, wasn't it? Like it was, it was genuinely. We we played a couple of games on it because we wanted to win. And I can't see it holding your attention for ages. But we, I'm surprised we didn't just go walk away from it straight away because we got annihilated the first time we played it, didn't we? It just <laughs> it picked us apart completely. It was. For me, I don't know how... Well, I can see why they sort of ditched the project and never really did much else with it, because it was a weird combination of sort of old-school asteroids and or meteoroids or whatever the uh, version of the game was, combined with sort of like a dogfight system. And everything in that game was designed to be stacked against you. So you had limited fuel, you had limited bullet, sort of like laser blasts, and an enemy that seemed to know exactly where you were going to go and could shoot ahead of your trajectory to sort of catch you out before you'd even before you even knew what direction you were going to take you sort of went off one side of the screen and you popped on the other side and even then while you were doing that the the other opponent's spaceship <laughs> was spinning round and firing a barrage off the right side of the screen <laughs> while you were flying off the left and you were just flying into the stream of bullets it was just so weird and then there's that little star in the middle of the bloody map that kills you as well if you clip past it so I was, it was just like what is this? <laughs> this is insane. 
if you crashed into each other, you tend to lose as well because you're smaller yeah. than. But the, I mean, some of the stuff that it had, like it had, I don't know, like the physics to take parts off your ship, didn't it? So yeah. if you crashed into the other ship but didn't do it head on, it might just knock a bit of the tail of the ship off and you could still carry on flying the body of it, which for something that was so primitive, I think that was like really clever that they got. And I don't know how they did it either because it was all one colour, wasn't it? A black background with white. I don't know what to call them because they're not sprites, are they? But white character yeah assets on it and but the laser blasts were a lot brighter white than everything else was and again don't see how they did it but we really enjoyed that i think to your point about it being busy as well having gone when it was busy and when it was dead it didn't take away from it too much for me because a lot of the time i enjoyed just watching other people playing the games that i might not necessarily have wanted to play myself but we stood and watched other people play them for a bit just to see what they were all about and, and see like that vib ribbon on PlayStation oh. that was next to us when we were playing Monkey Ball. I still, to this, I don't know how you play that game. And I watched 10 separate people try and play it and they all failed as miserably as I did. So I don't understand that. But that was quite fun to be able to see that. And I think everyone was quite nice about it. I, I know it obviously depends who you're in there with, but no one hogged anything did they if they saw people were waiting they'd finish the game they were playing and and let you on and and move on to something else so it did have a really nice atmosphere for the most part but we'll come to uh we'll come to the hostilities (laughs) later um but was there anything in there that you really enjoyed actually getting to see or play because for me there was some consoles and some games in there that i just never thought i'd see in person so that was a really cool experience I think I think the Tron cabinet in particular, because that was so far and away before when I was able to play video games, because it had been out when I was about one or two, <laughs> um, and being able to play on that and the sound effects were superb, even for the time the the controls were snappy and ridiculously responsive. Uh, so the tank mission where you're trying to fend off tanks that are coming towards you in a maze and you're having to sort of predict where they were going to move next to shoot and move around and stuff like that. That was great. The Virtual Boy, I am so glad I managed to play on that. And, I mean, bless (laughs) you, Nintendo, for coming out with a (laughs) VR console before you could even do, like, 2D graphics. But it was just an exercise in giving me a migraine, to be honest with you. But it was good fun to play it. Nice to see how it actually worked as well. Like, cause you, yeah. you can't get the experience of it unless you've got your eyes in one. It just isn't possible, is it? You can't see it on a screen. So to actually witness that firsthand and, and see how bad the controller was for it, which surprised me because the controller was awful compared to how much technology they crammed into the thing. And then you got this almost felt like a fake controller, but it wasn't. It was the official one. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then, yeah, they were... There was a lot of stuff that we looked at and went, oh, I remember this game. This used to be fun. And then realized we were absolutely pathetic at it. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was never particularly good at Parappa the Rapper, but I could get past the first level. I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't get anywhere near, did I? I just kept getting game overs all the time. And I was like, yeah, this either I've lost any slither of rhythm I used to have. <laughs> Or this game is just a lot harder than I remember. Or I was a lot more persistent back in the day. We had a good game of Monkey Ball, didn't we? Monkey Target, specifically. Ten points. Ten points. (laughs) Ten points in it at the end, which you thought you'd won, and then there was a tenth round. So 
<laughs> I pulled out the stops and managed to actually get some points. But yeah, I love Monkey Ball. And Monkey, we said while we were playing it, we're like, we could play this at home. We didn't need to spend 17 quid to come and play this. But it was just fun and the atmosphere. We had a few people watching us at various points. And yeah, it was just, it was an enjoyable experience. And it just flies by, doesn't it, when you're in there? Yeah, it does. And and also being able to see some of the, or albeit they weren't playable, but being able to see some of the old tech, like the Infinity Gauntlet or the Power Glove, as it was known yeah, yeah. at the time, how that got past sort of testing uh, <laughs> of people going, yeah, this is a really good idea. It looked really small as well. I was expecting it to be yeah. adjustable for kids' hands. But actually, I don't think I'd have got my sausage fingers in it if it had been available to play with because it just looked... I mean, I I assumed it was designed for everyone, but maybe they did just literally design it for kids to use. But maybe they're the only ones that with enough persistence to try and use it because it was a a ridiculous invention. There was a big dome, wasn't there, full of all Nintendo stuff, and it was just cool to see how things had developed. And then I got a bit of a blast from the past because there was that Tiger Electronics Sonic 2 game that I yes. probably probably had when I was about six and I completely forgot I actually had it. And then it was in there and it just brought back all these memories. And it was terrible. All the Tiger Electronics games were terrible, but it had a really nice display around it at least. So it was nice to see that. And then, yeah, we got into the, the multiplayer gaming area, shall we call it. <laughs> and we walked in and there was Bomberman. So we tried to play Bomberman and failed miserably. I mean... I think you blew yourself up within about two seconds, didn't you? And then somebody came and, and... But it was difficult to work out which Bomberman we were because there was 10 of them or eight of them on that screen. And yeah. you only really figured out who you were by waggling the controller about and seeing which one was matching what you were doing. So you managed to blow yourself up. And then by the time I'd figured out which one I was, somebody had tunneled the way to me and was just in the process of placing a bomb next to me to blow me up. But then you get to carry on around the sides, don't you, and chuck bombs in to try and thwart everyone else. And then there was like a boss, like a big dinosaur that came in. I was like, I don't remember any of this from Bomberman. <laughs> we must have, I must have had a different version because I don't remember any of this. Uh, but that was fun. But then we got to the, the pinnacle of our, our visit to the game <laughs> on exhibition, didn't we? So they got a multiplayer Smash Brothers set up. And just as we were walking over to it, these two kids... I don't know how they are. I can't gauge children's ages. Would you have said, what, like 10, 11? Yeah, something like that. Them and their dad were trying in vain to set up a multiplayer, like, eight-person Smash game. So we jumped on two of the controllers at one end, and then after about 10 minutes of them trying to figure out why it wouldn't start, the word start flashed up on the screen, so I just pressed start as quickly as I could. And then being humble, because that's who I am, I said to one of them, said something to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm rubbish at this. And he's like, well, I'm not. I'm going to absolutely batter you. And I was like, right. (laughs) (laughs) And and I wasn't completely lying. I'm not the best Smash player in the world. I'm not terrible, but I'm not great. But I thought, right, you're having it now. So I just, (laughs) (laughs) I figured out which player he was and then for 10 whole minutes just targeted. And I'm I'm not not overly proud of what I did, but I just... (laughs) I am. (laughs) <laughs> I just targeted this kid and, and I was Donkey Kong, weren't I? He was overpowered anyway. Yeah. And you were Captain Falcon, were you? Yeah, yeah. Again, overpowered. <laughs> so we just set about them. They'd, for some inconceivable reason, both picked Rob the Robot. 
uh, <laughs> which doesn't play very well anyway. So we just absolutely we were annihilating them for quite a while. And I, I did break off for a little bit to attack some of the computer control players, but it just weren't as fun. So I went back after after these two robbed the robots, and I think at one point the dad came after me because he just <laughs> saw how much I was targeting this. <laughs> this kid and like tried to break it up a bit so that the kid could go and do something else but they were convinced they were winning because they'd not got any damage but that was literally because they just died so for the whole way through it they were convinced they were winning and then the end screen came up didn't it and you came first and I came second and they somehow managed to come joint sixth even though there was like (laughs) three three computer players playing on like the lowest difficulty and then they were like over the moon with it as well, weren't they? <laughs> like, yeah, we came sixth. And then um, during the little targeting session, one of them kept shouting, who's player two? So I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> he's like, everyone gang up on player two. And then no one did. Or at least if they did, I didn't notice. And then he kept calling me a Fortnite player, which I, I, <laughs> I, I thought the kids, <laughs> I thought the kids like Fortnite. So something must have happened that I'm not aware of because they were throwing this insult and I've never played Fortnite in my life I'd just like to clarify but yeah that was the that was the insult of choice and I must have heard it about 200 times while we were playing that but to sum up I mean I know I've just said that me and Eddie essentially bullied two children for 10 minutes but they started it they, they started one they started it and two you wouldn't get that experience anywhere else no I've never played a game of smash that's had more than four players anyway more in like a competitive match so having a five player was new to me anyway and it could have gone up to eight if we'd have had more people but then to just play it against people that aren't in the same age group the same do you know what I mean it was it was such an experience that you won't really get anywhere else and I had so much fun and I know I shouldn't say that because (laughs) what we did was a little bit mean but like you said, they started it and it was, it was genuinely really fun. And we finished that and I was like, oh, I could just do that again, but we're running out of time. So we had to move on. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of the highlights for me. Not, not necessarily ganging up on them and stuff, but just the, the ability to play such a big game of smash that I've not had anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cause I think the old online matchmaking wasn't, you, you had to have like friend codes and stuff like that. Mm. So you, you tended to play with your peers. I don't, I haven't played the ultimate online most because I don't really take my switch online to be fair. So I don't know what the matchmaking is like on that. I'm assuming it's it, full it, of all the people that are obsessively good with smash and I don't want to play yeah. it online. And it's not the same as it as standing there at a TV, no. all of you, and like I say, getting a bit of bit of abuse coming in from those kids. And to be fair to us, we restrained ourselves and we didn't shout any abuse back, which no, <laughs> which I'm quite surprised at because the first time I went without Eddie, it, I was lucky it was empty, shall we say? Because there were times when I were playing games and I'd I can't remember what I was playing. It might have been that one we played with the clay pigeon shooting and the long oh, jump. Oh, God. And I failed the long jump absolutely miserably and just shouted, oh, for f***'s sake, at the top of my voice. And then I was like, <gasps> I was looking around, and, and luckily there were no kids nearby, but I was, like, really conscious of that when we went because there were kids everywhere. So didn't get into trouble, thankfully, for that. 
but yeah, you had a good little play on Angry Birds, didn't you, for the Xbox, which again, is not a thing that should exist, in my opinion. It's a mobile game, no. leave it where it is. Yeah, with the cheat code that we had of the, the eagle, which I didn't know was a thing. <laughs> I think the last time I played Angry Birds, you had a red, a blue, and maybe a black one. And that, that was <laughs> about the yellow, last yeah. time I played it. Yeah. So that was a, another fun experience because I didn't even know it, it had a console version. We saw it. I was like, is that a mobile game? And then it was it was the console version, which surprised us both. You had to go on something with some 3D classes, didn't you? <laughs> which A driving game, which wasn't 3D because I don't think the, the visor was aligned to my eyes properly. So it just looked blurry and everything was double vision. So I had to take my glasses off as well, which doesn't help. Because I'm partially sighted anyway. So it was just like, what am I playing here? So I couldn't tell whether the thing I was looking at and steering was the duplicated illusion in my eyes or whether it was the (laughs) actual thing that was on screen. So yeah, after about... Plus I played that straight after the Virtual Boy. So I already had a headache anyway. So it was just like an exercise in what are you doing to me? And then finally we got to the arcade cabinets, didn't we? Yeah. And played... What did we play? I had a game of Donkey Kong and got screwed over, didn't I? Robocop. Robocop, which is a bizarre arcade game (laughs) where it just arbitrarily decides whether you're allowed to use your gun or not. You can't just pull your gun out at any point. You can only punch for so much of it. And then as soon as there's an enemy in a window you can't reach, then you can have a go with the gun. And then you played that really weird one with the mouse where it was on the trampolines. Oh, yeah. And I can't um, remember the name of it now, but it was rubbish. I remember that much. It was bizarre. It was sort of like an um, a, a proper version of what Wreck-It Ralph would be. So the mm. little video game you see at the end of Wreck-It Ralph where he's sort of jumping up and repairing windows and collecting stuff all his way up, um, it's a bit like that crossed with the original Donkey Kong. So you're having to make your way up the house using trampolines on the bottom floor, and then you just literally get up to like the fifth floor of the house, scurry along and pick up like a block of cheese or a handbag, because, I mean, completely <laughs> nonsensical collectible items, whilst being chased by cats that are smaller on screen than you are as a mouse. It was just weird. Couldn't you, like, slam doors in the face as well and knock them backwards? There's another mechanic on it. It was, I think it was very similar to, do you remember Flicky? You know, so the Flickies that are in Sonic. Yes. The original Flicky game where you go around the 2D levels collecting them all and lead them to the door. It was very similar to that, but a bit weirder. And then randomly, if you were on a trampoline, the cats couldn't hurt you, which didn't make any sense. And if you jumped on a trampoline three times, it broke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> there was one where you were just bouncing and slamming your head into the ceiling, weren't you? And it was like, bang, 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 game over. <laughs> yeah. Uh... But overall, what would you say your highlight was from it? I think playing the Virtual Boy, because I, I never in a million years thought I would ever be able to get to play one. I've seen them, and I've seen them on like eBay, where you can purchase them, but most of them don't work. So it's just like a case of, oh, you can own this piece of history, but you'll never get to play it. And I I was convinced that I would never be in a position where I'd get to play on a Virtual Boy. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that was there at least. I had a few highlights. I enjoyed beating your monkey ball with that last gasp victory yes. at the end 
I enjoyed watching you play Prince of Persia because that was an exercise in frustration. I don't even know how to get past it. <laughs> to this day, we still don't know what you meant to do to get past like the first four or five screens where we where we were meant to go is a mystery to us. But we played that for a good ten minutes and got like three screens in. <laughs> I think probably broke so both that was and then landed on spikes. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed the Smash Brothers game um, for what it was. I would have liked to have gone on Rock Band, but my confidence isn't that high. Uh, I enjoyed watching that kid just annihilate a Weedle with like a level 20 (laughs) Pidgey or whatever he got for some reason when he was playing Pokemon Yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Trying trying to catch it without hitting it, which obviously wasn't going to work, and then just getting frustrated and just slaughtering it. (laughs) And then slamming the pad down and walking away because he'd had enough. <laughs> but I, I would definitely recommend it. I think it is a really fun experience for not a lot of money when you consider what you're getting out of it. So I know I said it last week. Yes, you could probably go to a Games Warehouse or Retrodome or something like that and get more gaming for your money. But you won't get this. You won't get to play on consoles from my youth, like the Commodore 64, Atari, that thing with the little ship that we were playing on for ages, an original Pac-Man machine. They could have one of those, but I doubt it would be in as good nick as the one that they had there. Because it was immaculate, wasn't it? That that Pac-Man machine that we watched that guy playing on, like everything about it was perfect. You could see they'd kept it in, in pristine shape. You're not going to get to play that Tron game anywhere. I'd never even okay. seen it before. And the control scheme on it is so weird, isn't it? Because it's got like a flight yoke with a trigger and then a disc that you spin to aim. It it sounds crazy, and it actually is. But when you start using it, it just feels really natural, doesn't it? And you fall into it straight away. So you won't get to do that. You won't get to play on a Virtual Boy anywhere else unless you've got a really rich uncle or something that happens to have one knocking about. And I dare say, if you're about the age of that we are, you won't get to go and batter some 11-year-olds on Smash Brothers <laughs> anywhere else. So it's got all that going for it and more. And there's all the history on the machines. We were reading up on some of the games, weren't we, and what year they came out and little tidbits and facts. So, yeah, go and check it out. It really is. We're going to go back, I'm pretty sure. We're going to we're gonna head back and play some of the stuff we didn't get to play this time. Hopefully maybe go at a quieter period when it's... Uh, when we can get on more. Like I say, it didn't negate from it being busy. I actually quite enjoyed it. No. Possibly more than the time we went when it was quiet because it was it was alive. There was this atmosphere to it and you heard the laughing. Like you get in a proper arcade. You hear people laughing and screaming. Do you know what I mean? You get all that yeah. that atmosphere and that was a bit missing when it wasn't as full. So we'll definitely be back and I suggest you go and check it out. We'll put the website again in the description of the episode. And I think you can even, I don't know if they've still got them, there was a website similar to Groupon and Woucher. It wasn't either of those two, but it was the same idea. And you could get a family of four midweek ticket for, I think, 18 quid with no booking fees. And I know it's midweek, but it does, they were valid for over the kids' holidays as well. So you could spend 18 quid and all four of you get like a, a one three quarter hour session in there for for eighteen quid, which is ridiculous because that's like the price of one adult ticket. Let's do a little Google for that if you if they've still got some available. They did just before we started recording. But with that said, I think unless you've got anything else you want to discuss, we've just got the Patreon shout outs to go. 
I think it's even worth for those people who were gamers in their youth and similar age to us, probably a bit older, who do have nostalgic memories of arcade cabinets when they used to go with their mates back in the early 80s just to be able and even if you're not a gamer now and you do have a, a sort of like a hankering for a hit of nostalgia to be able to go and play something you haven't played on in nearly four or five decades and remind yourself yes they are as bad as they used to be <laughs> and they are not helped by dimmed vision and arthritic wrists from aging so so yeah it's well worth it just to remind yourself of happier times from childhood and you can play on hypersports and and if anyone does and figures out the long jump please let me know because Eddie even googled it and we still couldn't get to the sandpit on it so I don't think it's possible I think it's a bugged game and that's it whatever games exist after the long jump no one's ever seen them would be my uh, would be my guess <laughs> But yeah, I think that leaves me with the Patreon shoutouts to do. So we will say thank you to all our Patreons. And that is Lee from the Couple of Coins tier. And then in the Bucket Kicker tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. So thank you to you guys for supporting us. We do really appreciate it. It does help us. And we've actually put out, because we're coming up to a year of the podcast now, later this month. So we've actually, a long, long, long time ago, I put up a post saying, if you've got any questions for us about the podcast or us in general, send them to me by DM. And we have had some sent in and some of our patrons have sent some in as well. So we're going to be recording a special Patreon episode where we answer all those questions. And I don't know, we'll talk about something else if we run out of time on it as well. But we will be answering those questions as well. So that'll be coming out hopefully on the day that we started this last year, which was the 22nd of Feb. So if you want to listen to that as soon as it comes out and not have to wait at least a month for it to go on to all the other platforms, head over to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers and sign yourself up. I will actually open that one because it's a year special to any tier. So you only have to be on the couple of coins tier and you'll still get that special because it's us giving back to the people that have supported us over the year. So with that said, we've given Metroid Prime a score. We've talked about the game on exhibition. And we've also given you a little idea of what's coming up. So, unless you've got anything else, because we were going to talk about Pal World, but again, we've run out of time. This has been on our schedule to talk about for two weeks now. <laughs> but neither of us have managed to fit it in. So maybe next episode, we'll talk about that thing that was popular two weeks ago and <laughs> has sort of died off now. <laughs> but until that point, I will say that is goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from me.